Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure, my enforcer of the six-foot rule, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! You, you, you've been practicing, huh? <laughs> Dude, I've been waiting all day for this. That's amazing. That's me? the longest you've ever done. <laughs> I think I got, I got some good lungs on me today. I feel like I could I could really belt one out. Have you have you like are you going to start singing or what's the story? Like, are you practicing? What's what is this? Is this your COVID uh, uh, goal? You know what? Like, I've been in my house for I don't even know how many days. I've lost track of how long I've been on the self isolation kick. A month? Has it been a month? I don't know. I, I, Maybe. I think so. I don't. I don't. What are days anymore? What are these confines days, that we keep adhering to? They just blur into each other. I just. I'm measuring time by sweatpants. It's like how many <laughs> days have I worn these sweatpants? Okay, I've, I've rotated the gray ones out for the black ones. Next, next up is the navy blues, and then I got the polka dots. <laughs> um, and you just wrote, you know, just kind of shuffling through them as I do the laundry. Um, Shaheen, we are we are virtual. This is so freaking weird because I'm, so I'm sitting weird. where I normally sit, and I'm staring at where you normally sit, and it's just pillows. There's is, nothing there. Is Coda at least sitting there, like giving me the finger? Where's that asshole cat? I don't know where she is. Uh, she's plotting she's, my death I somewhere. She, I think she's hiding underneath the table or something. So just to give people a visual, I'm sitting in the in my office in my house, and you're sitting in our regular. Uh, recording area we've got google hangout on so i can see your pretty face you can't see me but whatever man i'm usually covered with a beard anyways hey look at you just gesticulating it's funny i'm doing all that i'm doing all that here anyways because i can't help doing that that's just what i do (laughs) (laughs) oh god Uh, team Ann just brought me a glass of water so team 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 man team man's going to bed team man's like fuck you guys are recording i'm out of (laughs) here she's tuckered i mean to be fair to be fair to be fair uh, we were supposed to start like I don't know an hour ago, so this I mean, is it's my fault that we're in, we're going deep in the paint tonight. I think I think by motorcyclist standards, we're right on time. Yeah, I mean, you, I, when was the last time you were like, "All right, bro, we're gonna go for a ride. Everybody be here at nine o'clock. Kickstands up at nine thirty. Usually, you leave at like eleven at best." My my, so I didn't. How do I describe this? The only time I've ever had like a riding group was in college and we would meet at the DMV in Santa Barbara at 8 a.m. sharp at <laughs> the DMV. It, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was, it was right by the, the freeway. It was easy on, easy off. Okay. And eight Oh five, man, if you got there at eight Oh five, we were already gone. Dang. And I can remember a couple times, like we left people behind. They would have to catch up. What, what I got is that left behind. Like? I don't know. I, I rode with some guys that were definitely pretty high on the OCD anal retentive scale. To to put it into context, one of them used to wax his fridge. That was just that was like he just needed that that fucking fridge to shine, man. He just waxed it. Not with like the cheap wax either. It was an expensive wax. That's a that's a whole new level of dedication that I've never ever 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 right? had. Yeah. Um. So. So what's new with you? I, I haven't physically seen you in like going on two and a half weeks. You, dro- we you dropped off other? a mic for me. I have this fancy, oh, awesome yeah. mic. I've dropped off the, the Blue Yeti. What a great name. It is a Blue Yeti. What a great Yeti. name for a microphone. <laughs> it's a Blue Yeti. It's a Blue Yeti. 
Um, that's a great little mic. If anyone's looking for like a mic to start a podcast, if you're just sitting around thinking about, you know, getting on the podcasting train, pick up a blue Yeti. It's it's heavy. Uh, it's a. It, I it's, keep thinking of the movie Snatch every time I pick it up. It's like the weight is sign of reliability. If it does not work, you can always hit them with it. You have to be very careful flying with a blue Yeti because TSA thinks it looks like a bomb. Oh, it does kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've had a couple conversations. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It, uh, it. it does look a little suspect. Yeah, but it's a good little microphone. I, I, I like it. Uh, it's not what we usually use. We use uh, a little bit more high-end situation at the Brap Talk podcast. We're very fancy here. <laughs> this is pretty high-end, um, man. But I will recommend the Blue Yeti. Yeah, that is an unsolicited review. Nice. 5%. That's all we ever asked for. Yeah, just give give Daddy a little taste. Give Daddy just a little mm-hmm taste. Um, Shaheen, I wrote down a bunch of things to talk about today, but I feel like out of the gate, there's really only one thing for us to say. Is it a is it a uh, thing? Is it a thing we both did today? It's a thing we both did today. We were we were naughty, naughty little schoolboys. Super naughty. Uh, I felt bad. I actually apologized on my Instagram. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I think Okay, well let's we'll get into that. Um, but let's tell the let's tell the listeners what we did. Okay. You want to get there? Do do you want to do it? You do it. You spill the beans. Oh, I'm so excited. I got uh, hold on, let me straighten my shirt. This is serious. Got to ride the new Ducati drink Street Fighter V4 S. Oh you can't I'm not there with you in the room. But I have a massive hard on right now. Super glad you're not in the room with me. Then I'm I'm a little sad. I can't share its its happiness with you. It's just it's like you know it's like a happy happy thing. It's like Red Rocket. I can't even help it. That bike was almost everything I wanted to be. Um, and I've had so many people message me on Instagram like, "What do you think? What do you think?" Like, hold up, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, and then Jensen's gonna write about it on AsphaltAndRubber.com. Just hold your horses. Um, cause I wanted to kind of collect my thoughts a little bit, but walking up to that bike, this is the, this is the third time I've seen the physical motorcycle and the version I got to see finally today is the, the actual production one. But, um, I think, and I don't know if you agree with me or not. I think that bike is way better looking in person than in photos. I don't think it photographs well. I don't know what it is about it. It just doesn't, you have to like find a right angle, maybe the right lens, maybe the right lighting, you know, kind of talk sweetly to it. Uh, but boy, you throw a leg over that thing. It's a totally different bike than say your 1098 street fighter. I mean, like in every way possible. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't pick two bikes that are more different from each other, which I think is really interesting. No, I'm, I'm, Uh, I'm actually hoping that you do some kind of like a comparison. I was thinking about that today. I think I'm going to do that for the ANR pro, uh, readers. Uh, I'm going to come over so I can ride one of them and then we can like have like photo sesh between the two bikes. Yeah, there we go. You said sesh, right? Sesh, yeah, sesh. I, I'm okay, still excited, okay, cool. but sesh. Session. I just might have been something, like you said something <laughs> else, and I wasn't sure. The the cold water had to end up on my lap just to I don't yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna <laughs> sign up for that. Uh, I'm still worried about the COVID right now. Listen, man, I miss everybody and everything so much that the minute I see you, I'm probably gonna kiss you right on the lips. I don't even care. 
I can see the look on your face. You can't hide from me. Yeah, you can. You can't. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, please don't. Please don't kiss me on the lips. No, if you didn't think I liked hugging, how do you think I feel about kissing on the lips? You know, that's um, that, that sounds like your problem, Jensen. Sounds like your problem. Yeah, that is a Jensen problem, isn't it? That's not so much a Shaheen problem. This is tough times for you. You're really uh, having to to struggle through with your oh, man. extroverts. Self. My extrovert, my, my extrovert listeners are probably nodding right now, but I think we have it the hardest. The introverts like Team Ann and Team Jensen, you guys can just fucking handle it all day long. I go Dude, insane. I'm living my best life right now. Oh. I lost weight. I'm cooking a lot of food. I'm learning. I just got a great recipe from How one of my Italian weight? friends to make gnocchi. Um, oh, I, I don't eat out. To make gnocchi. Yeah, I've never made a no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna film myself making gnocchi because I know it's gonna be a disaster and it should be hilarious. I love gnocchi so much. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't eat out anymore because I don't trust those nose pickers to make me a taco. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm making all my food so I can totally control my calories. I've run out of Mountain Dew like weeks ago. Uh, the grocery store is just Russian roulette. It, yeah, it, it really no. is. Uh, I, shout out to like the grocery store workers. Um, you know, I, I, I think the our healthcare professionals are like the backbone of our society right now and, and uh-huh. hats off to them, but that's kind of like the job they signed up for. So it's kind of like, okay, like you're doing the thing you, you knew this was gonna happen, but like grocery store, like. Hey, yeah, I'm going to get a minimum wage job uh, restocking shelves at my local Safeway to, you know, help, you know, pay for college or whatever it is I'm doing in my life, buy my first car or, you know, just Just anything, make ends meet or whatever it is. And now it's like, I feel like grocery stores are going to be one of the largest vectors for, for coronavirus spreading once we figure this whole thing out, because that's where everyone comes. Everyone's got to go to the grocery store and everyone's freaking out and buying TP and buying canned soup. Like that is, that is, you're the unsung heroes because you're the ones restocking the shelves every day. You're the ones dealing with people that are probably potentially sick and picking their nose and wiping it on, you know, tuna fish cans. And I don't know why tuna fish cans is the thing that comes to my mind, by the way, that's that's the thing that keep running out of like, the thing I see people, (laughs) Yeah, um, but it's, uh, those are the unsung unsung heroes of this whole thing because no, they they're, should, they they're should. not getting paid nearly enough money to deal with uh, our infectious diseases. God no, no, and I mean I, I I worry about them every day, and you know certain grocery stores are doing a really good job of making sure people stay separate, uh, you know a good yeah. distance away from each other. But you know we in Portland we've got Fred Myers and you know Safeway, and Fred Myers is basically Kroger. And uh, you walk into one of those places and it's just free for all. But you go to like one of the Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or anything like that. There's sort of like a only X amount of people allowed in the store and they're letting people one in at a time and you have to stay yeah. six or seven feet away from each other. So uh, some semblance of, I don't know, control, I guess. I feel like my new seasons, which is like a Portland version of Whole Foods for those of you that don't live out here. I feel like my new seasons turned into like a dance club during the day. Like there's a line around the block to get inside. There's a big bouncer guy like letting people in like you, not like you. It. I her, like it a lot. Her, but only with the other one. The blonde has to come with you. And then, you know, you get inside and yeah, it's like a little vibe thing going on. You guys want, you guys want organic lettuce or organic cucumbers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, it's uh, it's interesting times, but, it, it was nice to kind of be naughty and break quarantine a little bit and go for a motorcycle ride. It was. Um, how many, how many, how many cyclists did you have to dodge today? Cause boy, 
There are a lot of people riding their bicycles nowadays. I will say I didn't have to, to dodge too many bicyclists because um, I went up towards Skyline and got away from the city. Um, but I noticed there were so many people out on the waterfront, out running, out picnicking, out milling around. Right. Like this idea that like, well, if I'm outside and I'm, then like that's safe. Like I can be like in a crowd outside because I'm still like six <laughs> feet away, even though I'm, you know, in the park with like 400 people, it'll yeah. be fine. Like yeah. this is where I feel like the marketing behind the whole six foot rule thing really kind of like let us down because we just go, oh, six feet, six feet away. I'm six feet from you. You're six <laughs> feet from me. But you're in an area with like a thousand people or however many people are in that damn park over over two, three hundred. And you're like, yeah, you're probably still getting Jeremy. You're probably still getting Jeremy. And no one's wearing masks, which is hilarious. I could have sworn Mythbusters did a thing once upon a time where like they they measured how far a sneeze goes and it's like 20 something feet. So when I first you heard know, the six foot thing, I'm like, ah. It's just, I mean, it's all it's all it's all managed risk. You know, like how how much risk are you comfortable with? And like I look at people around here and i'm just like i don't trust any of you <laughs> nose just, picking just mouth any given day for you <laughs> yeah toilet paper hoarding fuckers at all like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sit in my house and wait for the apocalypse to come um so that was that was interesting to see but yeah no up on on skyline it was all it was much more empty one or two cyclists but a same number you would normally see really all right um, so let, let, let's get back to the the highlight of the our bike. day the highlight <laughs> of the day this, this red just this gorgeous amazing machine that i'm in love with that i okay i came up i think with uh let's see one two three faults of the bike uh and okay so you and, and what overall I split, you like it oh i love it i absolutely I'm getting, love I'm it getting and, positive and I was, vibes from you okay so here's what i didn't like about the bike Number one, which is everyone's going to say this, the price. It's astronomical. Oh, my God. $24,000 for the S model, $20,000 for the baseline. And so it's funny because like for me, you know, putting it in perspective, my bike, my personal motorcycle, the the Multistrada Enduro fully loaded costs less than 24 grand, right? Like just a little less. But like in my mind, it's like I'm getting so much more bike that's capable of doing everything in the world for that kind of money. Now- that being said, you look at the you know Street Fighter and you're like, oh, it's got a lot of awesome stuff. The the like, suspension, the wheels, the just general technology that's put behind it, it's incredible. So once I kind of talk myself out of the whole sticker shock, um, two things stuck out to me. One is um, your left butt cheek gets really hot. If you're gonna ride this thing on the street, there's a lot of heat that comes out of the rear uh, exhaust. And I felt like it's the left side. I see you're shaking your head. I disagree. I I, I looked for that on the way home, and I was like, I have no idea what Shane's talking about. Oh, dude, I have um, no idea. My, uh, I, I, so, so here's I the thing: I rode no, it around the street. So like, I went slow with it just to kind of have the street part of the Street Fighter first to see what that's like. And that's the it, only thing I noticed was the heat. That's your problem. You can't. You don't ride a Street Fighter slow. You ride a Street Fighter like you're the horseman of the apocalypse <laughs> coming to take your soul back to Mordor or whatever it is. <laughs> All right, so once that's, I got over that and I wrong. went faster, oh yeah, it's gone. You don't, As soon as you go over 30 miles an hour, nothing. So as long as you don't ride it in the streets, just take your fight on the highway, you're fine. Keep It keeps you nice and cool. I don't understand. I mean, I, I hear it and I, like, I kind of understand it, but I am just one of those people like 
when people ask me like, oh, how, how's the heat? How's this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just, it's just not, and it's never been an issue for me. It's never been a thing where I've been on a motorcycle where like, damn, that's, that's really hot. The only time I've ever been on a motorcycle was like, wow, this is really hot. It's when it's like a hundred degrees out and I'm in leather pants, right. black leather pants. And it's just like, well, yeah, of course I'm hot because it, it's, it's hot out. And yeah, motorcycles do get hot. Like when they're over, you know, heating when they're over like 200 degrees or whatever. Um, but like, yeah, today I had zero issues. So, so, I, so I disagree with her on this so, one. So but, that's but, issue number one for me. I'm uh, again, yeah, it's give not, me number it, two. It's it's like when I say issue on a scale of one to ten of like one being I don't give a fuck and ten being deal breaker. This is like a two. Okay, <laughs> it's just okay. not that big so a deal. Oh, it's, because it's I agree with you. For you. If, if you ride a motorcycle, you have an engine between your legs. The shit's gonna run hot. You just you deal with it, right? But certain bikes, and I think a lot of uh, what I call like average riders, like myself, I just the average quote unquote Joes and Janes if they're going to ride around just normally and they're going to start thinking about stuff, it's like, well, yeah, that's going to run a little bit hot on your left butt cheek. But here's the one thing that I got to the shop and I dropped it off and I'm looking at it like, what is this thing missing? Cause it's got heated grips. It's got a little launch control button on it. You know, it's got all the everything, everything you could ever want from a motorcycle. But the other two bikes that are sort of against it, like the, the Tuono V4 and the S 1000 R they have this little thing called cruise control. And I'm wondering why Ducati omitted that on this bike. Like, I know why. I've been around Ducatis long enough to just even hear like Dominic Alley be like, yeah, it's a fucking super bike. Get out of here. But it's interesting that for a premium price, it's missing one little button. And it kind of made me scratch my head a little bit like, well, I mean, again, not a deal breaker for me because I wouldn't buy that bike to be highway cruising on there. But if BMW and Aprilia are going, yeah, if you're going to buy this kind of motorcycle, let me give you that little extra something just to kind of edge them forward, especially for the price difference. I'm wondering if that's going to be kind of a a question the the buyer of a street fighter will have. Yours truly? Me? Never. I could give two fucks. That's why I have a Multistrada. It is one of those things that's a little interesting because I don't know if like it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me because I just don't care enough. Um, but it is such an easy thing for them to do, especially with the the ride by wire throttle. It's literally just software. It's like, I mean, I don't know how many lines of code that is, but I would think it's pretty easy to just be set speed at this RPM or at this speed and throttle do the thing. Right. Um, so. It is silly that, that that's that, that that's missing, but I agree that's a um it'd be a low level thing for me. Yeah, that's really it though. I mean, other than that, it's it's super comfy. Uh I, I you know, I'm six foot one ish, have a thirty-three inch inseam. There's a ton of leg space on that bike. I was really actually surprised with how much room there was. I actually took a picture of my leg, you know, in, in riding position on the bike. And it's like, damn, I could have like a 36 inch inseam and still have plenty of uh, room left on this bike. I thought the handlebar is nice and wide and it's pretty neutral. I never felt uncomfortable. I rode the bike for about 35 minutes nonstop and I felt like I could ride it all day long. So it's, um, I didn't really go above 120 miles an hour just because we're on public roads and I'm not looking to fuck around too much, but it seemed fine. You know, it's, it's, it's still a naked bike. You're still having to tuck in a little bit more, but, um, holy moly, man, that motor just pulls so hard at any gear at any RPM that just zero hesitation. It's unbelievable. And I don't know if you agree with me this or not, but it's interesting how Ducati's figured out the V4 to kind of still have like that feeling of a twin of like, I almost felt like I was on a Panigale 1299, like just the way it felt. 
but it's so much smoother when you start going up and you look at the tachometer and you're like 14,000 RPM. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this thing just keeps going. Yeah, I think I disagree with you on that one because for me, it feels very much like a four cylinder and hop. And I would say like my biggest criticism of this bike is that it it still doesn't have that grunt, that, that low end torque that the V twin has. So I rode my Street Fighter 1098 over to Motocorsa, picked up the same bike that you were on. And it was really noticeable coming, you know, from like a dead stop or from a low speed and rolling it on, like just the way the power is delivered. Um, and I think it's, I, th- I would love to see the dyno curves back to back because I bet they're closer than I think they are. Right. I think some of it comes down to just motor characteristic of of having two huge twin cylinders versus two huge twin cylinders. Right. Two, two huge cylinders of the V-twin. <laughs> two versus... sets of huge or one set of two huge? <laughs> like that's going to... Well, who's on first? Uh, versus the, the V4. Even with that firing order, um, yeah, it just... It, it's very different. Like the engine feels very, very different. And I wouldn't say the V4 is gutless down low because it definitely pulls. It definitely has some, some juice. But also understand like... The 1098, like the usable power band, is up to 9,000 RPMs. I forget what the red line is on my bike, but it's it's right I think around it's like eight 10, or nine. 5 or something. Yeah, I don't think it's quite that high, but yeah. Whereas this is like fourteen seven or something crazy. It's fourteen right. fourteen five fourteen seven, and if like for me, the the hardest thing was just managing the power band. And I had that same issue with the v, with the Panigale V4, especially the Panigale V4R, where you're like. Oh yeah, I'm really giving it the beans, and I'm going. And you look down, you're like, "Oh, I'm at 8,000 RPM." So like, I'm barely even using half the half the motor right now. Um, and so that's a bit of a of a switch in the head that you kind of have to to have to have to make. Right. And it's hard to do on the street. It's a lot easier to do on the track. Yeah, in a controlled environment where you can push it. Yeah, and you have like, okay, this is a this is my you know, third gear turn and I click up two gears on the straightaway and I click back down two more gears to go through turn one. Like it's very much more easy to, to be regimented. Right. Um, but like when I was on the street, I really found myself I was like, wow, I'm really only using like half of the power band right now or half the RPM range right now to, to ride this bike. And like, you know, I had to like kind of recalibrate a couple times and be like, well, like I'd, I'd crack the throttle and I'd be like, oh, nothing's really happening. I'm like, oh, that's because I'm in fourth gear instead of second like I should be. <laughs> right. Because my brain is is still not not using the whole thing. No, I think um, the I think the delivery of power is, is is completely different between the twin that you own and the V4. I mean, it's it's like first of all, I think your bike is much more raw. There is no real disconnect between your right hand and the rear tire. Whereas on the V4, there is just it just feels like there's a bunch of computers between you and that rear wheel telling the thing what to do and how to do it precisely, right? And so I think they've done a pretty good job of making it smooth and and sort of seamless. But yeah, I mean, anytime I've ridden your bike or any Street Fighter or 1098 or 1198 Superbikes, um, there just seems to be this sort of sense of urgency between what your right hand does and what the rear wheel does. Um, and it's sort of uh, I was I was explaining it to somebody at the shop today when they asked me what they thought. Uh, your your personal 1098 Street Fighter is a bike I would never ever ever hand to a beginner or moderate 
just someone who's just started writing. This V4, you could put it in street mode where it you know shuts the power down a bunch and turns up ABS and traction and anti-wheelie control to like the nth degree. And it's so smooth that it, it's not scary. Like it just feels like, you know, it's like a purring little kitten. It's really, really sweet. And you can ride it wherever the hell you want to ride it. At the same time, you can go through these different riding modes and put it in race mode. And it's like, oh yeah, all bets are off. Now the thing's all, you know, all fire. Yeah. I don't know. I would, I would, the lawyer me is like, I would not recommend a new rider by any street fighter E4. Uh, <laughs> I think you can still get yourself in a lot of trouble, but, but I think you're right in the sense of, like the 1098 is a bike that scares me. Uh, I've I've been doing asphalt and rubber 11 years. I've been riding motorcycles for 20. I've been on the track for 15, 18 years or whatever it is. Um, very, you know, I literally am a professional motorcycle rider and that is a motorcycle that scares me. That is a bike that will, has no electronic rider aids and is totally capable of flipping you off of the bike with the crack of a throttle and has tons of of torque has tons of torque down low. Um, so it's really like coming out of that apex of the turn, getting on the gas. All it takes is just a little bit too much and you're flying yourself through the air. It, it is a bike for, for someone that knows what they're doing. Right. Whereas, you know, now where the state of superbikes and super nakeds are, there's so many rider aids. There's so many electronic controls. There's so many things that are in place now because the horsepower has gotten so crazy. I mean, like, my Street Fighter 1098 is quoted to have 155 horsepower, which is plenty to to get you into trouble. Oh, God, it's so but, much. But, but we're talking about a motorcycle right now that makes 205 horsepower. <laughs> it literally makes 33% more power than my bike from 10 years ago. And I don't think it's that, that much w- heavier. <laughs> and no, I'm pretty sure I'm going to weigh it after the this this uh, podcast. I've got my, my, my scales, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be about the same weight. Same, that's a, that's incredible. Um, so, I mean, it, like I do agree, like it's a lot easier to ride and it's amazing. It has, it has a wheelie control. It's got the ABS. It's got the corner ABS. It's got the IMU powered traction control. It's got launch control. It's got, you know, everything under the, every whistle and bell under the sun to, to, you know, get you, get you there safe and to maximize your ability to, you know, extract all the performance that Ducati's put into that, that motorcycle. That being said, Probably not a good first bike. Go buy a Ninja 250 <laughs> or an SV or an SV 650. There's so many great like used cheap bikes that are better to start out on than this. So many. That's my so many. that's my lawyer disclaimer for the podcast. <laughs> I feel like we need to have like a like a quick. How do they do that? Where they record someone that speaks really really quickly and it's like uh, you know a disclaimer. Who was the guy? Oh, when we were kids. Maybe this is something that you missed because you're still in Iran. But there was a guy like when I was growing up. And like that was his his claim to fame was like he was a really fast talker, and it was for toys. And he started out with these like miniature car toy things, hmm. and then his like career like it, his career lasted like all of like three years. But he branched out to a couple other things. Oh man, I wonder totally what that is. On it, the 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 only the only way I can describe it the toys that I'm talking about are the same ones that Macaulay Culkin uses in home alone. And he puts them on the <laughs> stairs and he like puts the missile of one of them straight up to like, cause that's going to make a difference. Mike micro machines, micro machines. That's what they're, that's what they're called. Micro machines. Oh, micro machines. Oh my God. I forgot about micro machines. I literally typed it in my browser, my Google micro machines. And the next thing is guy. <laughs> so I'm, 
John Muschiata Jr. The fast talking guy known as Motomo. Yeah. Wow. He has a whole, he's got a Wikipedia page. That's Go amazing. You. <laughs> Go you. Yeah. Um, yeah, what a trip. What a trip down memory lane that was. Um, what are your favorite things about this bike? Tell me. My favorite things about the bike? Um, yeah. I, I actually, for one, love the way it looks. Um, okay. I think especially once you do the, uh, what I call the basic package, which is like, you know, get rid of the rear fender, eliminator kit, uh, get rid of those goofy looking mirrors that work really well. But I would put, you know, bar and mirrors on there. Definitely put a rowdy ass exhaust on it. Um, but I, I love the way it looks. I think it's beautiful. I think it rides. It's, it's unbelievably comfortable. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, the older street fighters, I've, I've been, everybody that knows me knows that I've always been a huge fan of those bikes. And I just think they're incredible. And they're so sort of like, it's the naughty motorcycle, you know, and this thing is still like, it's naughty, but at the same time, I feel like it's kind of matured and grown up a little bit, which you can kind of, you know, shrug your shoulders at that a little bit, I think, but, um, I, I think the dash is sorted out pretty well. I was impressed with how easily I could see things. Uh, it, it cuts through the wind fairly well. I was cruising at 80 miles an hour on the thing and just never felt like I was trying to get peeled off the bike. Uh, so for some, you know, 245 pound, six foot one guy like me, that I was right at home on that thing. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say the looks of it, the way it made me feel, uh, the way it rode was for someone like me who I think is an average rider, it was mind-numbingly good i i loved it which is why when i talked to you earlier i you know i had said i really i'm excited to hear your perspective because you've got what i call an educated perspective when it comes to motorcycles and it's sort of your job to be nitpicky and and you know super uh, uh subjective about what it is you're talking about and objective uh so i'm excited to read what you have to say about it but um let's 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 talk about that part let's let's say let's see what you got to say about this thing because i'm i've been dying all day to hear your 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 perspective (laughs) on this bike yeah um yeah my job is to i'm a professional shitter honor that's that's my (laughs) job uh it makes you it makes you tons of friends uh makes you super fun at parties and uh, motorcycle manufacturers really enjoy what you have to say they're like oh please tell us everything that we did wrong we really enjoy hearing that (laughs) what Uh, do you think of my bike i think it sucks yeah, nothing worse. <laughs> I've got a, I've gotten caught out a couple times. <laughs> nothing worse than like meeting someone you don't really know who they are, and they're like, "Oh, what do you think of the bike?" And I'm like, eh, "You know, it's all right. It's like a, it's like a B." They're like, "Oh, cool. I spent the last, I spent the last five years of my life making that. You jerk." <laughs> oh god. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a. I'm gonna die alone. I think that's important. I think I think manufacturers need a an honest perspective because um, their job is to build the thing, and then their marketing uh, department's job is to you know tout the thing as like the best, awesomest, coolest, most incredible thing sli- since sliced bread. And yeah. average people like myself will look at it and go, "Oh my god, I'm just frothing at the mouth. I want it." But it's it's I think your responsibility as a journalist to look at the thing and dissect it and say. At your level, these are the good things. These are the okay things. These are the things that could get worked on. And these are the things that are absolutely sucking our deal breakers. But that's your job. I think you should do that. And I think uh, for someone that does what you do professionally every day, I appreciate that you take that seriously. And so that's why I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I always say what I think. I think that's the most important thing is, is making sure that you're saying things that you actually believe and you're not just saying things to 
create headlines or to create controversy or to placate people or whatever it is. As long as you're, as long as you're, I've had, I had one PR guy say to me, it's like, as long as you're telling your truth, I'm okay with what you write. And I was like, oh, that's very woke of you to say it in that way. But like, that's, that's what you want. Um, that being said, um, this bike is a very good bike. The Street Fighter V4 is a very good bike. Um, what I have a lot of trouble with, and you already brought it up, is the price tag. Yeah. $24,000. That's $24, a lot of dough. $24,000 for the S model. 20000 for the base model is still a lot of dough. And I say that only because when you look at the direct competition, you're looking at the brand new 2020 uh, KTM, which is eighteen seven. And truth be told, probably at the end of the year, you can pick one up for like 16 or 17 because they're going to mark them down a ton. Right, of course. Uh, the Tuono 1100 factory is 19000 We all know you're going to get screaming deals at any Aprilia dealership you go into. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't look up the BMW, but it's truthfully, I don't really throw the BMW in here. Uh, it's old tech. Um, it's it, it hasn't been really that revamped. I guess they haven't while. updated it with the new S one thousand double R chassis. Yeah, have they? It, it hasn't been updated. It probably will be for the twenty twenty one model year. Although I say that now, you know the coronavirus stuff could throw that all you know throw a wrench into all that. Um, but that was kind of I think the plan. But even then, when that bike came out, I never liked that bike. Uh, it vibed too much. BMW's electronics are a mess. The, I always have issues with their quick shifters. The only thing I think that BMW does extremely well right now is they have a beautiful, beautiful, big, fat TFT dash right. that look that everyone should just copy. And it's really laid out well, and it looks great. It's really bright. KTM has a good one, too. Yeah, KTM's is pretty um, decent. I Aprilia is like Aprilia is going to get a B on that one, and and I think Ducati is going to come in with like an A minus on the dash. And I'm very much like a dash snob, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, you are. A I dash do guy. wish the yeah, I wish the Street Fighter dash was a little bit bigger. But I was looking, I was like, it's pretty big, it's very nice, it's laid out well, it makes sense. Like I can't, I don't get too uppity about it. But but coming back to the price, I sit there and like what I get upset about is it's like five six thousand dollars more right than the comparable. European models in this category. And I don't that's a lot really of money. Think, I don't yeah, I don't really think it brings anything to the table that's five or six thousand dollars of value. Like you could say like two hundred and five horsepower. Wow, that's a right. fuck ton of power. But on a street bike, it's it's really hard to justify it. Now I will I will give a disclaimer. I have not been able to ride this bike on the street. I spent uh, about three hours today riding it on or sorry, I haven't been able to ride it on the track. I spent about three hours today riding it on the street. Right. And as a street bike, like I really believe like anything over 150, 160 horsepower, like it just doesn't make a difference. Like you're gonna run out of things. space quick. It, yeah. I, I like I gave this thing a bean the beans going down um, a road I won't disclose. And I definitely saw more than what the speed limit was. <laughs> I, I went I went faster than you, Shaheen. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and like there was like Naughty. a moment there i was just like yeah and there's a moment i was just like I'm like i gotta i have plenty of road still to go but i'm like i gotta roll this fucker off because this is just dangerous this is just a bad idea this isn't safe it's dusk i'd already seen a couple deer i'm like i'm just asking for trouble right now and that's the problem with street bikes is it's just 
it's just really easy to get into trouble. Like right. 200 horsepower on the street, it's just kind of wasted. You're not going to be doing 150, 180 miles an hour on the street. And if you are, you're an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, that's why I would say I'd love to get on the track because I bet this bike shines really brightly on the track. And and that's where, like, I don't particularly like the Tuono on the track. I think the Tuono is a great street bike. I don't really enjoy it that much on the track. Same way with my Street Fighter, my 1098. Right. Don't really love it as a track bike. Uh, it really is meant to be on the street. It doesn't have – it makes its power in the middle. It doesn't make its power at the top. So you just – it just doesn't work in that application. I'd be very curious to see with the new KTM with its new chassis. Uh, and they've reworked that motor a little bit. Um, they've, they've definitely been reworking the electronics. I bet that bike is a lot better on the track than it used to be. So I'm wondering when that's supposed to come out. And I mean, uh, never mind what's going on with COVID. I, I, was there, was there a, uh, ETA on that bike's arrival? Yeah, it'll be here soon. All it'll right. Be here super soon. Um, the, the 890 just, just arrived in the U S they're, they're in dealerships right now. Uh, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about the 890 before we get off this, okay. this podcast. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see. All three bikes. Maybe we'll throw the BMW in there just for giggles, and and see what it is back to back on the street and back to back on the track because that th- I think the detail. I think you need to have that A B comparison to be able to say which is better, which which has the advantage here and there. Right, and that's and that's my issue with the Street Fighter V four. It's not that the bike is a bad bike. The bike is a fantastic bike. The problem I have is it's commanding such a larger price tag right and and there's nothing about it that immediately jumps out to me and be like and this is why this is why you have to pay twenty four thousand dollars because it does this so much better in reality i'm sitting there going like it does everything it needs to do in this category it has it it, it is a very competent offering it offers all the electronics it offers all the power it offers offers all the styling that you would expect from a new super naked or street fighter model in 2020 i wonder if ducati it checks checks all the boxes i wonder if ducati's sort of doing this thing where it's like all right you know what let's go back to being a super specialized brand and let's make it expensive and let's make it something that people have to kind of like a halo brand right 100 um you can see it in ducati's financials they're selling about the same number of units every year but profits are going up because prices are going up Right, and I think they've realized that the elasticity of the demand curve, if for you economic nerds out there, uh, is is rather inelastic. So they can keep, you know, jacking up that price, and it's not really going to change how many number of bikes they sell because Ducati owners can afford to pay that premium. So yeah, like, I, I get that, that. I think I think somebody that used to work for Disney works for Ducati now. Every year it goes up incrementally, and nobody really says anything. And then, like ten years later, you look back ten years, you're like, wait a minute. When did this happen? <laughs> How are we paying $25,000 for a naked sport bike? Yeah. And I think, you know, Claudio and I actually got into this little, this little bit of an argument. Cause I was saying, you know, like how expensive this model is compared to what I have. And his, his, uh, opinion was that, you know, if you just look at inflation, it, it, it doesn't cost that much more. In reality, like he's kind of right. When you factor in inflation between now and 10 years ago, the spike, it's in the ballpark, but it's still two, three thousand dollars more than if you just did inflation. Right. And I think one of the hard parts to Shaheen, and, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, uh, you have this whole idea of like Moore's Law, and it's really like a, a tech uh, principle where, um, you know, the cost of things are constantly going down. Right. Or, well, technically, Moore's Law is, is, 
I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but the way we interpret it now is that basically as technology increases, the prices go down or for the same price, you can get like exponentially better technology. Right. Um, but I mean, in reality, Moore's law deals with the number of transistors and the rate of which we are able to pack more transistors onto like a micro trip and that like it's supposed to double uh, every two years is, is the traditional Moore's law. But what I'm trying to say is like we keep putting features and features and features onto motorcycles and our mindset, like like our iPhone mindset or our, our laptop mindset or our, our, you know, digital camera mindset is like, oh, every every <laughs> right. ten, every two years it gets twice as many megapixels out of my camera, but it costs the same amount. Well, we don't have that in motorcycles. It's like it costs X amount of dollars to make a, a internal combustion engine kind of no matter what. And we keep right. adding more and more electronics. And those are increasing the price. It's not like over time those prices are coming down. We just keep increasing our pricing. Um, so it's it's kind of tough from that regard to to make like these apples and apples comparisons. But it's hard. Really I mean, just, it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of have an apples to apples uh, um, comparison with this bike and the other ones in the category because there is going to be that big price difference, and that's going to be the first thing people are going to talk about. And it's like we're, we're not comparing an Italian bike versus a bunch of Japanese bikes. We're comparing an Italian bike versus another Italian bike versus uh, a German bike. And so, you know, those are all premiums. Those are bikes that people are used to paying high dollar amounts for. But as soon as you kind of bring this up, and that really honestly is the only thing that I would kind of cringe at on that bike. It it is an expensive bike. And I realize Ducati's going for the super premium uh, consumer and and branding style, but that's going to be a question that's going to get asked. And uh, I have a feeling it'll sell regardless. I think it'll sell. I don't think there's a good they're having. I don't think they're going to have any issues selling this motorcycle. Um, the thing, the thing that Ducati is doing that that's precarious. Uh, it's the same thing that Ferrari does, to be honest. Where it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna build this thing. We're gonna build this supercar, and it's not necessarily better than all the other supercars on the market, even though it costs a lot more than, than most of them, but it costs more because it's a Ferrari, you know, um, you can get a Corvette to outperform a Ferrari for a fraction of the cost. But at the end of the day, you're driving a Chevrolet, whereas the other guy's driving a Ferrari. (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, Corvettes are great and all, don't get me wrong, right? But you're driving a Chevy. Versus this Italian goddess over here, and and Ferrari's done a really good job of carving out that that snootery, let's call it that that brand, that product lust, like putting a Ferrari. I remember, like I was a kid, I totally put Ferraris on my wall. Like that was like, wow, that's amazing. That's that is art. Uh, the term product lust comes to mind. Right, exactly. My problem with Ducati is they're trying to do that, but they're not there yet per se. There's nothing. I think the Street Fighter is a very good-looking motorcycle, but there's nothing about it that I look at and go like, "That has to be mine." But it has wings. Uh. I, I think the wings are very cool. I think that's are, a very yeah. cool thing. I don't know if they need wings. Uh, I mean, not the racetrack. I know, on, I think on a it, naked I, bike is hilarious to me, by the way. A little bit, I think. Again, like I would love to get it on the racetrack because I think I think this bike shines and shows its true potential on a racetrack. Um, but my biggest problem is is I feel like Ducati's styling is a little bit more conservative than it used to be. I think you're right. And that goes against this thing that they're trying to do where they're trying to say like, Hey, we're worth an extra. The brand itself is worth an extra three, 4,000 on the price tag. 
and I don't think that's there yet because I think like if you want to talk about like motorcycles that are are lust worthy that have product lust built into them, MV Agusta I think does that in spades. You look at an MV Agusta F3, right. or you look at the new Brutali 1000, and you're just like, yeah, I don't care how much that costs. I need to have it. It, <laughs> it is beautiful. That is motorcycle art. That's literally like their tagline: motorcycle art. And oh, yeah. Ducatis used to be like that, and I think they've kind of gotten away with it, or not gotten away, gone away from it. Well, you got to remember um, who Ducati's, you know, parent company is, though. I mean, you, you well, look at their... the Germans. <laughs> the Germans. And it's funny because, like, you know, technically it's Lamborghini that has the Ducati name underneath them. But yes. technically right. those people are, you know, Audi Volkswagen, right? And if well, you go to any auto show or any dealership and look at Audis, they all look the same. They're great cars. They drive amazing, but they're kind of conservative looking. And that's the thing. That's the thing. It needs to be less Audi and more Lamborghini. Because I look at the Lamborghinis, and I do think Lamborghinis kind of all look the same as well. Right, yeah, they do now. Yeah, but they're so ostentatious in that look. They they at least, like, it's like complaining about the punk rockers. Like, oh, man, they all have the mohawk, (laughs) the spiked mohawk, where it's like, okay, yeah, all all the guys got the mohawk thing going on, but it's a mohawk. It's pretty crazy. You know, like, (laughs) don't tell me it's like a bowl cut. (laughs) You know, like if the Audi, if the Audi is the bowl cut of, of the automotive world, the Lamborghini is the Mohawk. Um, <laughs> I like it. And I think that's the thing. I think, I think, I think Ducati needs to get a little bit more Mohawk and a l- little less bowl cut. That being said, it's a very nice bowl cut. It's very well executed. It's very, very well, like clean lines, you know, uh, yeah. definitely somebody measured. Yeah. 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 They had a steady hand. Um, the, the difficult but, question here is. Yeah. Would Jensen Beeler spend his money on that bike? That's the thing. Like, well, truthfully, like this is where where I do a little cop out and be like, well, you know, Shaheen, I only had a couple hours on the bike and I haven't had a chance to put it on the track yet, and I would really like to spend some time on the other bikes in, in the category before I had to make a decision. Right. Um. That's that's my problem though. For twenty four thousand dollars, this thing needs to blow my socks off and make me not think about any other bikes in the category. And that's not the case. I'm sitting there going like, wow, man, I'd really like to swing a leg over the new KTM and see what that's all about. And yeah. the Tuono's pretty good, and they just put electronic suspension on it and, and a couple other things. And, like, you know, they've done a really good job of keeping that package fresh. So, you know, I probably should give that a go. And, you know, maybe, you know, the BMW, like, oh, I don't care about the BMW. But um, that MV, I'd love to give that MV a go. Um, so that's the tough part. Um, I will say... The bike has amazing manners around town. It's very streetable. It's very rideable at low speeds in the city, making turns. Like I had to do photo passes, and it was very easy to handle it at low speeds, which you cannot say about the 1098 version no. whatsoever. <laughs> um, the The seating position is very comfortable. You could ride it all day. It's very sporty. The, the bike handles really well. The chassis is really well set up. It's very light. Uh, for steering inputs. Um, there's a lot of really good positive things you can say about this bike. The way the power delivery comes, you know, that V4 motor is amazing. It's just amazing. Um, and I think that bike only gets better on the racetrack. Like, I, I, I don't have anything evidence-wise to back that up. It's just my gut feeling, just seeing how it is on the street, seeing how it is when I whack the throttle as hard as I can. Um, third gear power wheelies, no problem. Right. Um, I feel like this bike would be, would shine on street and on track, which is a very difficult thing to do. And I don't think 
every bike in this category does that. I, I've already said, like, I don't care for the BMW. It's the bottom of my list. I think the Tuono is a great street bike. It loses my my interest as I ride it on the track. I'm very curious to see where the KTM is right now because uh, I've always liked that bike quite a bit. And and they've basically fixed in for 2020 all the things I didn't like about the previous generation. So for me, I think it would probably come down to the Ducati and the KTM, and that would be very, very interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, like when you're spending $20,000 on a motorcycle, it's going to come down to which which bike speaks to you, which one has that look that you can't say no to, which brand you're more into. Maybe are you an orange person or a red person? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's in a little bit of a way, like it doesn't really matter too much what my opinion is. Uh, but yeah, in terms of faults, like the only thing I really wish the street fighter V4 had that it doesn't. And, and I feel like this is a huge miss for Ducati is a shotgun exhaust. In I the know Ducati <laughs> performance parts catalog. Yeah. I get like, you want to do that underslung Akrapovich exhaust that's on the, eh. on the Panigale V4 and like, okay, cool. Yeah. But just give me, just give me one option for like a slip on or, or a full system with a shotgun exhaust just to get rowdy, just to let me have my hair down, just so I can get my mohawk on. We talked about this not long ago. There, there, yeah. there is a couple of options, right? If you want to go not super expensive, uh, Competition Works has a shotgun exhaust for the Panigale V4. It's a yeah, slip-on. I hate the way that looks. And you know those are going to be rowdy as hell. It actually doesn't look bad. It's probably one of the better looking ones because uh, usually comp works. They're known for like that one specific kind of can that they put on just about anything. And it works on some bikes and I don't think it works on some, but you know, whatever. That's my opinion. Um, but I think I'd said it before. M- my exhaust of choice, the day comes I buy that motorcycle is the Terminioni exhaust, which has kind of like a, you know, right exit two holes and then under seat exit two holes. So the four e- four exit holes for the exhaust. Yeah, I like that exhaust. Um, this it's funny. Like the Terminoni, like I look at it and I love it and I hate it at the same time. Because <laughs> like parts of it, I'm like, yes, that looks fantastic. And other parts, I'm like, that looks really stupid. <laughs> um, what part do you? What part do you think is stupid? I like the undertail part. I don't like the underbelly part, especially because they put like this big branding that says it says a for Yusheti. Yeah. I just butchered that Italian. If four four exits is what it means, um, four exhausts. Um, it just doesn't look right to my eye. Whereas I love one of my favorite exhausts of all time is the nine 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 series. Yes, under under tail exhaust. Yes, uh, Pierre Blanche, For all the things he got wrong in the nine nine nine, that he got right. And it looks gorgeous. And I think that that should be the exhaust for all Ducatis going forward in time. <laughs> And the Terminioni one looks like that. It, it has kind of like that look to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite know, as girthy get, as the 999s, but it's the same no, basic style. No, it's not. But it's got that still that kind of look where like the the classic Undertale exhaust was two, you know, oval pipes coming out the back. And right. he was able to kind of make it more of a modern line. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I and think I so think, too. And I think that's what Terminioni is kind of doing with the Panigale V4 exhaust where it's like it's kind of getting back to that that look. 
being uh, Terminioni, you know it's going to be probably at least $5,000 for that exhaust. So silly. So silly. And I so talked silly. to the, the folks at service department about installing a full exhaust on a, on a V4 Panigale and the Street Fighter 9.5 hours of service. No, really? So that's, yeah. that's over $1,000 just that's, Yeah, I mean, 125 bucks an hour, typical uh, service cost at just about any shop now times 9.5 that's just the cost of labor of putting that exhaust on plus the i, I think the acro is uh like 50 500 bucks for the full system and like 4500 bucks for the for the um slip on but the slip on only takes like two and a half hours to install so i guess you really save a lot of money and if you're not going to be like racing the thing just get the slip on exhaust it's going to sound cool it's going to look cool and it's going to save you a i think over two thousand dollars that's just too much. Um, That's a difference, right? When you get into this sort of this market where you're looking at motorcycles that are over $20,000, you're not going to be necessarily nickel and diming things like exhaust. You're not going to be nickel and diming the peripheries in that bike. And if you are, eh, I mean, those people exist, right? But nine out of 10 times, someone that's buying a $25,000 bike that, isn't that really going to like lose sleep over an exhaust system on that thing. That's another twenty percent to the price tag. That's not trivial in my mind. I like if you're gonna sit there and you're gonna start and be like, okay, I'm gonna buy a twenty four thousand motorcycle, but by the time I'm done with it, it's thirty. Oh yeah, that's that's a movement for me. That's a big movement. That's a now huge you're, movement. Like now you're into a realm of craziness. And and truthfully, for thirty thousand dollars, I'm gonna be looking at the MV Agosta at that I, point. I mean, just for shits and gigs, I kind of like built my dream uh, Street Fighter V four. And in my mind, it's like, oh, it's a simple build. I'm just going to do the exhaust that I want, which is the Termi. I would do this, the, you know, Fender Eliminator kit. I would do the mirrors that I want. And then I would do those, those Rotobox wheels that are the, the new yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bullets. Well, shit. Now we're talking about a $35,000 bike right now. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. That's, it's a uh, ton of money. That's a nice car. You can get a nice car for 35 grand. Dude, like a really nice car, like a luxurious, maybe a used Porsche. Like, like a Kia. You could at least get a Kia. Oh, dude, you can get a brand new Kia. Or a Hyundai. A Genesis. Oh, they're more money. They're no. more money. Yeah. <laughs> are they? I don't know how much a Honda is. Hondas aren't, um, aren't cheap anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the Well, they have the one of the best warranties out there right now. It's like a 100,000 mile, 10 year warranty, something crazy like that. That's right. Um, I digress. But um, the price, the price tag is the price tag is tough. Um, That's a hard pill to swallow, I, and Ducati's I, put it out there. I'm easy with the loving, but I'm tight with the money, Shaheen. That's that's just Jensen Beeler in a nutshell. So you know, you're you're not you're no you're no fool when it comes to your money. But which is why the question <laughs> you know remains: Would Jensen Beeler spend twenty four thousand hard earned asphalt and uh, rubber money on a? new street fighter does the 1098 get replaced first of all i'll be calling uncle claudio for a friends and family discount so i'm not paying sticker <laughs> <laughs> uh i'll be like listen i know where some of the bodies are buried you gotta at least take 10 percent <laughs> off the top i know where you live uh, literally um he has a lovely house very nice um swimming pool on top of the hill it's great total death trap to get there it's like a it's like a one lane road with that goes both ways and it's only like one and a quarter width wide oh god yeah it's just like dude europeans are okay on roads like that you put an american there yeah no that would be a death trap um (laughs) (laughs) 
that's the thing. Like I, 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 I gotta, I gotta get on the track to find out because I feel like, I feel like a couple, a couple sessions on the racetrack and I could be singing a, a little bit of a different tune because I think it would shine a lot more. You'd be able to see that, that massive horsepower advantage that right. it has. Um, it would, it would stand, I think it would stand itself out more in the crowd. And, and for me, the truth, the, the truth is in the pudding, the proof right. is in the pudding. The I'm pudding? not getting my idioms connect, uh, very I don't well. want anything not, in my pudding, man. Just give me pudding. Just the pudding. Just a little whipped cream. Don't get, don't make pudding. it weird. Pudding sounds good. I just had dinner. So now I'm like <laughs> thinking dessert. Pudding sounds really good. Um, yeah, I, I would want to see if that's the case. I would want to see if that assumption is true. If that feeling is true. So it's a little too early to tell, um, but I will say, I would I would feel much better about this bike if the S model was twenty thousand and the base model was seventeen five. Yeah, that would be more. I mean, that's still more than what your bike was because I think the S model on your bike was yeah, it was twenty thousand nineteen change. Whoa, no, it wasn't that high. It wasn't that high. I don't um, think so. Was it, was it the, 18995? It was. It was up there. Um, so I mean, ha- having ridden the V four Panigale on the track i know what that bike's capable of at my level right i'm just a, i'm i would you know i'm the lower echelon of the a group riders but at my level i know the v4 panigale made me make made my eyes water a little bit like i just couldn't my face hurt from grinning when i rode that bike in every way possible not just speed but just all together so if this bike made me feel you know super comfortable and happy on the street i, I think for someone of my skills i'd probably put that thing on the track and be like done fuck it i want it give me take my money yeah i mean truthfully like if you're looking for a track bike a naked bike isn't what you should be in the market no no this Um, is we're talking about like a track bike as in like using it like three or four times a year on the track because you're probably better off buying a dedicated we've said this a thousand times buy a real track bike what i do like about it though is especially in this category these are bikes that are street bikes that are still fun on the track right and that that for me is the big thing like hey i only have one bike or only have maybe one or two bikes this could be that sport bike that is fun on the street you could commute on it you could run errands you can go out and play in the canyons you can you know get your your speed fix on the street if you want and when you're ready to be smart and take it to the track it's a bike that you could do it on the track as well and and it's a totally competent motorcycle up to an a-level you know, rider's pace. Uh, and that for me, like that speaks volumes because there's, there's not a lot of bikes that are that way. Right. You know, there's some great street bikes that just fall away on the track. I even said about my 1098, really great street bike, not the best track bike out there. Um, it's not my favorite bike to ride on the track. It's, it's just not. See, suddenly it's a, suddenly it's a bargain purchase. If it can do all the things at once, a track bike, a street bike, uh, you know, a bike to go on date nights with, enjoy a sunset, have the pizza. Ah, <laughs> I don't know about two up. That seat looks really small. Dude, that, that back seat's actually pretty big. I was actually noticing that earlier when I was riding. I'm like, man, Ducati, you put a big fuck off back seat on that thing. I mean, compared it's to the pretty, older Panigale. Yeah, it's pretty big for a sport bike back seat. Right. But I would still like if I put a lady friend on the back of that bike, I would still apologize first. Yeah, it's no gold wing. <laughs> I'd be like, honey, get whatever you want at dinner. It's it's fine. Just, as just long as it's a salad, everything. it's fine. You can have anything you want on the menu. As long as it's a salad, it'll be fine because <laughs> skinny butts only on that back seat. Yeah. So when are when are we doing our two upright on the Street Fighter then? Hello, is this thing working? 
<laughs> never. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. How to, I don't know how to tell you this news. Never. We're never doing we would, a twelve on Street thing Fighter everywhere, all the time, we at would, every speed, we would at every break gear. It. Are you kidding me? We would break it. <laughs> I don't think that subframe's design. There'd be like a. There'd girth. be like. There'd <laughs> be like a Giuseppe back in Italy being like, why Why did the two, why did the two large American men get on the bike? Why, 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 why do these two want to destroy my bike? I don't yeah, understand. Obvious, obviously, we didn't make it for this, you silly Americans. Stop eating cheeseburgers. You stupid, um, fat, uh, hamburger-eating uh, motherfucker. Stop riding like this. Yeah, I saw, him, I saw him make gnocchi on Facebook. Obviously, this isn't a good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I always kind of chuckle when I see the seats on that, and we're like, "Oh, that's aspirational." Yeah, that no, that's, that's, said, that would get. I would put a cover on that immediately and get rid of those yeah. rear uh, foot pegs. But but younger Jensen, back in his college days, thought that was a good idea, and that was that was a great part of my social agenda. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It it all works out. I think um, I think that's why you're young and stupid for a while, right? You you learn you learn about pain and bad decisions and. Uh, putting a friend that you like in the backseat of a sport bike just bad decision yeah yeah i mean didn't get a lot of second dates out of that let's put it that <laughs> way <laughs> uh oh boy um definitely an amazing motorcycle though you know for all the for all the poo-pooing that i think i just did i i, I want to come back and finish strong and be like this is this is the real deal. Like if yeah. you're a Ducatisti and you've been waiting for a Street Fighter V4, you're gonna love this thing. If you're a sport bike person that's got an extra, you know, bit of coin in the in the bank account, still, like this is this is definitely something to be considered. Um, Ducati did a very good job of of putting together a bike. Um, that that fits the expectations of this segment right now and that that kind of sounds like a put down in a way because it's like oh they just met the expectations but it's a compliment because they haven't really had anything in this space for over 10 years no it's whereas been a while. ktm has been you know iterating on the on the duke on the super duke aprilia has been iterating on the tuono bmw has been iterating on the s1000 single r and Ducati really has an answer, hasn't had an answer, and now they do, and they are they are in the game. Like this is this is definitely contention for best in the space. You know, people have to talk about it, it has to be considered. It's right there. Um, they're going to sell a boat ton of them. So like that's a that's a tough thing to kind of come from nowhere and be at the top of it. So there's like a you know slow clap it out for them on that one. Bravo Ducati, bravo guys. But uh, yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very impressed with this bike. I just, I just want more for my money or <laughs> or less money involved. But I will, I will reserve that judgment, that final judgment, until you get on the track because I think, I think Shaheen, I'll be singing a slightly different tune. I, I, I have bet a you suspicion. Would be. I have a suspicion. Um, I think this bike would be really fun on the track, and I'm very curious to see it. Uh, so yeah. Moving on. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? Well, um, you were talking about that KTM eight ninety. KTM eight ninety. So this is this is this is like the counterpoint to the Street Fighter V four in my mind because they came out. It's here. It's already here in the U.S. Surprise, surprise. Limited numbers arrived in the U.S. ahead of schedule. Fucking sneak attack, the, man. Right. And those crazy Austrian fuckers priced it at eleven thousand seven hundred dollars. 
That's that's I'm super impressed by that, by the way. That's ridiculous. That's a thousand dollars more than the S90 Duke and definitely brings more than a thousand dollars in value. Better suspension, better tires, way better brakes, more power. I mean, what do you want? What do you are, want from it at that point? Like, are, are we uh, thinking this is a replacement for the 790 or just an addition? No, 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 no. I don't know how easy it will be to find 790 Dukes in the U.S. That might be the 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 counterpoint. Right. But, um, yeah. No, I do think it's... I mean, I already put the 790 Duke as I, I, I call it the best sport bike that's, on the market. That's the 100. That's the 100 that's sport. That's the 100. Because it is so much motorcycle for the money. It is so much motorcycle for the money. And understand, that's literally half the price of the Street Fighter V4. <laughs> that's the great. You could have you could have a 790 and an 890 for less than what the v- Street Fighter V4 goes for. Yeah. Just to put things into comparison. It's just crazy to me. Oh, I wonder if this means KTM's going to do an 890 um uh adventure cuz the Norden 901 is basically 890, isn't it? The Norden 901 is an 890. Mm. Um so I think my prediction is that KTM will use the 790 motor for its lower spec right. uh, model and it'll use the 890 motor for the higher spec model. Um, and that might, I mean, we, we've already seen that on the Duke line. I think we'll eventually see that on the Adventure line. And we know that there's going to be a Supermoto SMT type version coming out soon. And I believe that will be an 890 model as well. So um, they're being very creative with with which motor goes where and and differentiating that. And um, yeah, it's kind of clever. Um, but for me, it's the price. The price tag on this is so cheap. Uh, you're getting so much motorcycle for that for that dollar that it's really hard to say no to that. You know, like. Obviously, the 890 Duke and the Street Fighter V4 are not in the same category with each other in terms of just right. power and all that. Like they're just they're just not. But when you see something like the 890 Duke going for literally half the price, it makes you kind of go like it puts things in perspective a little bit. And I think that's the thing with KTM right now with this bike. It's like they're just they just put everyone on notice where it's like, oh hey, you guys are jacking up the prices. Yeah, we're gonna just uh, you know hold our beer. Check this out. Yeah, I mean that's we're just the, gonna blow the, it out of the water. They they've been on a mission to grow as a as a company, and this is definitely one way of doing it, right? Uh, offering what I consider a premium product for not crazy premium pricing. That was the thing that I think you can make an argument about how the seven ninety Duke wasn't a premium offering, especially with the J one brakes and the Shinko tires and the. Uh, suspension that had no tunability you'd be like it doesn't there's nothing about that that felt premium whatsoever but the r spec definitely does you know that as it should be you know the r spec is the r spec it's the it's the upsell model but what i love about it is you went and you put all the stuff that i wish you put on the 790 duke and you did it and you didn't really jack the price up you know they could have they could have made that a thirteen thousand dollar fourteen thousand dollar bike by using some other manufacturer's math and they didn't they they made a you know, what would, what would I say it cost? Twelve thousand, right? Eleven seven. That that's. 11, I think that's 7. where their sister brand Husky comes in, though. True, I, I do think that's that's kind of Husky's job, and I think that's kind of the thing that Husky's been getting wrong, uh, especially when you look at like the Vitplin and the Spartplin. 
you know, we're talking $13,000, $14,000 motorcycles yeah. that are based off the 690 Duke, which was like an $8,000, $9,000 model here in the U.S. Like, you just sit there and go like, well, where'd the other 50% come from? Because it's just bodywork. You're literally just giving me bodywork. I guess um, those wheels are very expensive. <laughs> that's the thing. They're not even nice wheels. They're, they're not. They're heavy. Just, I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing that, like, that gets a little wonky with with, with Husky and KTM. Um, it was funny. I was just reading a story the other day about the differences between the KTM... 690 enduro and the husky 701 um enduro and like you're like these are just the exact same bike one's orange and one's blue like the the differences between them are so trivial and now at least the price tag i think the price tag is literally a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars in difference you're like okay fair like that makes sense but such a it's such an interesting old school move that i mean i remember like when gm came out with their you know their quote-unquote luxury truck lineup of like you could buy a tahoe you could buy a yukon or you could buy an escalade they were the same fucking trucks inside and out except for the grills were different and the price tags were like widely varied just because of the name that's really all it was that's the thing i think i think buyers now are really savvy we have a lot of options there's a lot of really good motorcycles out there so you have to offer more than just the brand unless your brand really is like something special and i think that's that's what Ferrari, you know, going back to that car analogy we made before, that's what Ferrari got so, so right. It really means something when you show up on a Ferrari. And and I'll be totally honest with you, Shaheen. When I bought my Street Fighter, I bought it because the Ducati name, like it meant something to me. Like, oh, I want to show up on a motorcycle and it's going to be a Ducati because, right. you know, not everyone knows their motorcycle brands, but they'll know Ducati and then I know Ducati is like the Ferrari of motorcycles. And I think that's something that the Scrambler lineup and some of the, the cheaper monsters, but mostly the Scrambler lineup, I blame for this, has kind of taken away from that cache, that cachet because, you know, any hipster kid can go out and buy a Scrambler and they can say they have a Ducati. And so, like, my little ability to be snooty and be like, oh, I showed up on a Ducati. I have a Ducati <laughs> motorcycle. It's been taken away from me because the fucking hipster kid with his skinny jeans and his stupid haircut and his free trade organic double frappe chai latte dorkachino has a Ducati, too. And you're like, well, that's not I'm not cool anymore. Um, and motorcycles are all about being cool. I don't know. Maybe I just got like super old in like the next, in the last like three minutes. Get off minutes. my lawn with your scrambler, yeah, you right? son of a bitch. Right. But I think that's, that is the thing. Like, like I do think the scrambler lineup devalued the Ducati brand. It's really hard to, to be the Ferrari when you're offering a Miata. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, essentially like trying to have Ferrari and like Fiat in the same fucking, uh, you know, lot. And, and I get it that Ducati was trying. I don't know where they sort of stopped or they, I don't know what happened, but I thought the initial idea was to be scrambler by Ducati sold separately and kind of being its own little marketing thing, but it's not, it's, you know, the dealerships only have so much money they can throw around for marketing and space and, you know, trying to sell all the brands, but you know, as, as a dealership, when you're selling Ducatis, you, you can't be like, no, nah, I don't want the Scrambler ones. They're Scrambler by Ducati. I, I go ahead and sell those at a different dealership. You have to get them as part of the allocation. You you have to grab them. There's no two, two ways about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It's interesting to see that's kind of biting them in the butt on this. And 
And I think that's, I don't know, I mean, like, that's, God doesn't have to figure that out. If the strategy is to keep adding uh, a premium price, price tag to Ducati, uh, the name, you know, Charger Premium, because it's got the words Ducati on it. Right. Uh, you're going to have to reconcile that with what you're doing down market with the Scrambler lineup, with your smaller displacement bikes, with, with you know, the, the entry-level monsters and stuff like that. Um, because even the monster, when the monster came out, it was a more affordable Ducati, but it was still a little bit of a premium over the other, let's call it like the standard universal Japanese motorcycle, the UJM. So the, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I just, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what the future holds with the whole brand and the lineup. Uh, we're going to be living in a brand new world coming coming up soon. And I'm curious to see if the motorcycle brands are going to kind of try and go a different direction or is it going to be same old, same old uh, as if nothing happened? Like, ca- can you as a dealership say, hey, I want to create a different space. I want to have a different, you know, experience altogether for the person who's buying a Scrambler in my Ducati dealership. In one hand, that's sort of segregating, right? It's not, uh, it's not cool. It's not really making people feel good. So, like, do you make it cool? Do you make it like into a um, speakeasy type thing where you walk in and the sales guy's got a cool rolled up mustache and he's got his Danner boots on and he's offering you a, a fucking old fashioned uh, whiskey drink, like, <laughs> right? I'll tell you, if I walked into that dealership, I'd turn my ass right around and walk back out the door. I don't want. I do not want that experience at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sort of making a caricature out of it, but you know, right. it's I'm 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 really, you know, when when I worked at the shop and Scrambler came out, we we kind of toyed around with the idea of how cool would it be if we just got like a separate spot somewhere in downtown Portland and said, let's just sell the Scramblers out of this thing. But then on the other hand, it was like, you know, we looked at it as an opportunity to allow a entry level motorcycle, oh no, not a motorcyclist, but an entry level Ducati buyer to have the same full-on experience as the $30,000 Ducati buyer. So, you know, it's kind of leveled the playing field. And as a dealership, that's probably a better model because now you're you're sort of working with a wider range of consumers. You're not just only helping the high-end consumer. Now, the person who can only afford, a, say, a $10,000 motorcycle can buy that. And then as a dealership, now it's up to you to be like, oh, well, that means we have to start stocking like... $300 helmets, not just $800 helmets and $200 jackets, not just $800 yeah. jackets. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know quite where you're landing on it. So I'm not gonna say like, I disagree with you all, but my mindset is it's, you can't, you can't have it both ways. And I, and I've, I've talked to Claudio about this and, and you know, th- he will tell you, and it depends where you catch him in the conversation on where that dividing line is. But his perspective is always that he wants to be a premium motorcycle brand, right? And that's like, especially you see it with them uh, in uh, the Southeast Asian, Chinese, and just Asian markets in general. Where or let's call it the well, yeah, I was going to say Asian, I was going to say India, but India's a part of Asia. Um, so Asia in general, where the small displacement bikes are the ones that sell. And it's like, oh, you know, if you go like, hey, Claudio, are you guys going to come out with, you know, a bike that would be more applicable to the Indian or Chinese or Indonesian or Malaysian markets? Like, a, let's say like a 250. And you'd be like, no, no, we're never going to make like a 250. We're never right. going to go that far down. Like, like 
600 cc's will be the smallest we ever make or 500 cc's will ever be the smallest we make. He'll, he'll never give you a number, but he'll give you an impression of a number. And, you know, because he, he's very much like, you know, we want to, we see these markets as developing. There's going to be more and more people, you know, coming into the middle class and then coming from middle class to upper class. There's going to be more and more people that can afford our bikes, the bikes that we have now. And we're aspirational in that, in that sense. But like that's not quite what we're doing in the U.S. because, you know, in in India, uh, you know, eight hundred cc scrambler is still a fucking huge bike. That's a like, big that's fuck a big off deal. bike. Yeah. Whereas here, it's really not, and it's like, oh, it's a six thousand dollar motorcycle. Shoot, there's a lot of, well, I don't know if there's any six thousand dollar scramblers anymore, but there's eight thousand dollar scramblers or nine thousand dollar scramblers. There's a lot of bikes in that price range, and it's like. You can get a Ducati if you wanted to, or you can get a Yamaha, or you can get a Honda, or you can get a KTM. Like you know, everyone's got a bike at the nine thousand dollar price point. Every every model does, right? Um, and and for me, that's it's hard to be both. It's hard to be the premium brand, and it's hard to be the brand that the twenty somethings can buy. And you can't have it both ways in a lot of times. And I I think. I would always want to own the niche. And I've, I've told this to other people when I'm giving them business advice. I look at asphalt and rubber that same way. That's why we have a sport bike focus. We're, we're sport bike through. That's our bread and butter. Right. The Street Fighters are bread and butter. This 890 Duke is our bread and butter. That's the thing we're going to hang our hats on. We might talk about adventure bikes. We might talk about some cruisers. We might talk about some other things. But the niche that we're always going to own is that sport rider, track day, enthusiast, MotoGP watching motorcyclist. And not someone that's necessarily just coming into the sport, but has probably been around and, and done the thing. Um, and that's probably why we talk about Ducati a lot, because it's like you've matured as a rider and you're now going to like invest a lot more money into your motorcycles than you were before. But that's a whole digression. I think Ducati needs to own that itch. And I think that's why Ferrari's su- successful. And I think that's why... Um, you know, they have such a, de, a defensible position because you're not watering down the brand. You're not trying to have it both ways. It becomes aspirational where it's like, hey, I can't afford a Ducati. You could. Wow. Wow. You must be doing well in life if you could afford a Ducati. It's like a Rolex watch. Right. You know, like there's no cheap Rolex watch. There's no like in, like the entry level Rolex watch is still like a $10,000, $15,000 Submariner or whatever it is. Um, I don't know my watches very well, so there's probably like a watch geek that's just like yelling at the. the I'm so radio bad at right watches. Now. Like, is it a Timex or is it a Rolex? That's all I got. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, you know, like that's the thing. Like, I know in the watch world, a Rolex isn't even that that like big of a deal because there's so many other like even more high end brands that like Rolex is just kind of like the. Oh yo oh you heard of that one before? Oh Amiga, how oh, clever! You've seen a John's a John a James Bond film. <laughs> um, but it's that still it's like yeah but but they start at like 10 grand like you know if someone has a rolex on their wrist like fuck man you spent ten thousand dollars on a watch right i got a 30 dollar casio that does the exact same thing probably better <laughs> actually so you know that's interesting but they're not trying to make that version and that's where i think like like du- the ducati brand can only go so far and i think that's where they got the scrambler thing wrong because it should have been in a very separate brand switch switch gears let's get out of the ducati realm let's go and look at harley davidson Harley Davidson's about to go from the high end, you know, twenty thousand dollar plus cruiser market, and they're going to start making electric bicycles, right. scooters, adventure bikes, uh, roadster, street fighter type models, electrics. Like 
you went and you owned the niche. You owned that cruiser niche and you made it into a thing and you had so much success with it. Now, maybe you rode that niche for too long and for too hard. And if I had to go back in time, in fact, 10 years ago, I was saying this very exact thing. If I'm Harley Davidson, I keep making Harley Davidson a cruiser brand. Maybe you can spin some flat tracker and some some cafe racer stuff into that because it's still heritage based. But if you really want to grow, I think they had it right in they had it right the first time. You get an MV Augusta, you acquire an MV Augusta, yeah. you acquire uh, an Alta, you acquire a Norton, you acquire you know any of these like smaller brands that have other niches that you don't have. You you acquire a, a KTM. Not that you know that would have been able to happen, but you and I talked about once um, Ducati acquiring TM TM Racing for a dirt bike brand, right? You 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 grow through acquisition because you have more strength when your brand is hyper-focused than you do if your brand is really broad. Unless you can build your brand to be more than just that segment that you're in. Like, like Honda is a great example of a brand that's, that makes everything. And the the value of the Honda brand is like, well, you know it's a Honda. It's really well built. It's it's just going to be super reliable. It's not the fastest super bike on the market, but man, that thing's bulletproof. You can yeah, it'll like, just always it. work. Yeah, you'll drain the oil out of it right at 100 miles, and it'll still work because it's it's a Honda. You know, there's there's a couple exceptions to that rule, but I'd say by and large, and this is what I feel like the Japanese have failed to do, is own a niche. Like KTM has owned that niche. They are the ready to race brand. They're very sport focused. All their bikes have a very sport focused slant to them, and you can see their success. And you know, like it's just you just can't be. Uh, a jack of all trades because then you're a master of none. And I think yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of it here. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, I feel like as a company, it's probably a tough thing to deal out, deal with. Right. Because what do you want to be? Do you want to sell to the masses or do you want to sell to a specific genre? And you have to kind of decide, you know, which way you want to be. You, you can either be Ferrari and only sell, you know, six figure vehicles, or you can be, I don't know, uh, I can't think of another brand that does everything. Volkswagen, I guess, but Volkswagen even has figured out like, no, we have Volkswagen, we have Audi, we have, you know, Lamborghini, we have Porsche. And so, you know, the only way to truly effectively be able to sell something to everybody is by making it other brands. You can't, I think it's difficult to have it as, as having the whole brand. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's sort of seemingly as watered down brand a little bit. Meanwhile, they're still making a $24,000 naked street bike, right? And and so, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what their what their future plans are going to be with the scrambler thing. Are those bikes still selling well enough that it's okay to keep them at the dealerships at the level they are at? Will it ever make sense for it to move to a different uh, dealership to be sold separately altogether? Um, I don't know. I'm 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 curious to see you know how it is because I've seen it work. Uh, but at the same time, I've seen people like you say what you said, and it sort of, you know, it, 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 I think bears repeating that, yeah, it's sort of watered down the brand a little bit. Are you a $9,000 um, bike brand or a $24,000 naked bike brand? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is like the perfect example, but Polaris is an, is an interesting example where you've got the Polaris brand itself. You've got the um, Slingshot brand, and you've got the Indian brand. Uh, maybe a better example is Piaggio, where you have Vespa and you have Moto Guzzi and you have Aprilia. They're all the same company. They're all going into the same, 
you know, corporate structure at the end of the day. Right. But you have three different brands. You can throw the Piaggio brand in there too. You have four brands with pretty high levels of distinction. Vespa is never going to come out with a super bike. You know, Aprilia is never going to make a classic styled scooter. Moto Guzzi is never going to make, um, well, God knows what Moto Guzzi is going on with. I lost the thread there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like you would never, you're never going to mistake any of those bikes for each other. Any of those right. brands, you're never going to mistake the, any of the offerings from those brands for one of the others. They've, they've, the Moto Guzzi is the heritage brand now. The Aprilia is the sport bike brand now. Vespa is the old classic Italian scooter brand. Vespa is just Vespa brand, really. And Piaggio is like this, like the generic scooter brand. Um, and I think that that works out pretty well for them. Um, you know, there's a lot of inefficiencies in the Piaggio group, but like the brand distinctions works really, really well. And I think Ducati, like, like if I could be a fly on the wall, if I could be on the Ducati board. I would totally do a growth through acquisition strategy. Get rid of these sub brands. Get rid of that nonsense. Growth through acquisition, separate brands for for separate key categories. And I think that Harley Davidson's about to make that that mistake. I think if there's a criticism for what they're doing, and truthfully, Shaheen, our next show should be about what's going on at Harley Davidson because there's so okay. much to talk about. Um, but if I could just preview that, like if there's one thing I can fault. Matt Levitich for over the his tenure at the company is I would do everything that he's doing with the brand right now, except I would do it with different brand names. I would go back, you know, because he was actually the one he was the head person at Harley Davidson when how do I describe this? He was the guy, he was the highest ranking Harley Davidson person for MV Augusta when they had it. Like he was that bridge. You know, he was the one that oversaw MV Augusta. And that was a part of it. Like that was that was working right. Like Harley Davidson owning MV Augusta, Harley Davidson owning Buell, separate brands, sport bike, you know, market. Harley Davidson doesn't need to make a super bike. We'll let these other brands deal with it. Right. Great. Makes perfect sense. And I think if we had stayed on that timeline and saw that all the way through, I think we would have seen uh Buell's becoming more street bikes and maybe getting in a little bit more into the adventure space. And we would have seen MV staying pure sport. And and I think that would have worked out really well. Unfortunately, the recession came along, and absolutely they made the right decision. They shut down uh, Buell. They sold off MV. They circled the wagons around Harley Davidson because Harley Davidson, as a company, almost went out of business. Um, but I really think the growth through acquisition, when you have a strong brand like Harley Davidson, you let it be a strong brand. Don't try and dilute it and make it be a brand for everything. Uh, but you know. There's oh man, there's so much going on. I can't wait to talk to you about it. <laughs> I'm so curious now. <laughs> um, we're man, we're at like an hour and a half right now. What else do you want to talk about really quickly? Um, really uh, quickly, I want to bring up that uh, that little um, BMW's reveal of the um, R18. <laughs> you think we're gonna get through that quickly? I mean, <laughs> I like you know, your optimism. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think we're pretty quick on everything. You know, we we're not known for two hour long conversations. <laughs> Never had a two hour long conversation in my life. Um, we've we've talked about this bike a lot, so maybe we can get through it quickly. Uh my 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 my, my super quick version looked yeah. better than I thought it did. Looked yes. better than I thought it would. I should say, at least a uh, hundred times better. <laughs> it looks a lot better. It's very classic. It's very 
heritage, vintage, whatever. Totally yeah. not my jam. I still think that motor is a fucking boat anchor. So big. Um, but they did a very good job on it. Good job, BMW. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how many they're going to sell. I know, you know, we've had conversations with with BMW. They don't really need to sell that many for it to make sense to them. Right. Um. But I, I still wonder, like, you're getting into the cruiser game when the cruiser game's dying. But, you know, good luck to you. I mean, the cruiser game is is dying, but it's the biggest ship out there. So, you know. It is. It really is. Right? It's, it's, it's probably still going to be worthwhile for them to take what, what they can from this. I appreciate that the bike is really clean. Like, the design is just really, really, really clean. And, like, simple is the wrong word, but it is simple uh, in that there, it's not just convoluted with a bunch of fucking over sculptured bullshit on the bike it's just this really beautiful clean bike that you can look at and go oh yeah that's a cruiser and i think for what it's worth they've done a good job of creating another option for someone that wants to have that you know high class high flute and cruiser right if you're your only yeah. real options do uh, um harley and indian that's really it so now you got a big honking uh 1802 cc uh engine from bmw and it's funny to see you know people be like oh only makes 90 horsepower that's not the point of these bikes these bikes aren't meant to be fire breathing high horsepower motorcycles this is all about that torque wave this is all about that like easygoing chug-a-lugging motor motor underneath you and you and i saw the one at the one show which was sort of a prototype but Man, that bike was, it sat so low and the ergonomics of it were set up that anyone can ride that thing. You could be yeah. five foot two or you could be six foot two and still fit on that bike comfortably and be able to ride it. Um, that's, so that's a I, really important thing to make too. That's a really good point you have there because that makes it accessible to so many riders. Oh yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not quote unquote feminine looking or masculine looking. It's just this motorcycle that's got really good curb appeal, I think. And if I was in, if right now I was in the market for a cruiser, I would definitely look at this because it would allow me to have that other option, right? That thing we were talking about with someone like you buying a Ducati saying, I want to feel special. That's the kind of motorcycle that I think will make its buyer feel special because it is different. It is, you know, it's got a big, huge motor in it, but it's German, but it's got this cool American heritage look to it. I think they've done a good job. And and the, I mean, the video was a big puff piece, but um, it did a good job of showing off the bike and sort of, you know, trying to exude the the excitement of it because I've never been to a, a big reveal like the ones you've gone to. But, um, you know, ultimately all they're trying to do is make people excited about a specific motorcycle. That's what, you know, that's what your job is as a motorcycle manufacturer is to make something that's exciting and it'll sell because you're trying to compete with people's emotions over other options. And uh, I, I, for one, Big fan. Again, it's not necessarily the thing I would go for. I'm not a cruiser guy, but if I was in the market for one, I, I, I'm I'm blown away with what they've done here. I think it's really, really much, much better looking as a final product than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I was sort of harking back to the days of like BMW making the R1200C and it just like made me shudder. And they didn't <laughs> do that. They did a good yeah. job of staying away from that shit. No, I would say by and large, very well executed. I think I have some issues with the plan and the idea, but they executed that plan very well. The only thing like I really that like hangs me up is when I look at that motor 
it is so bulbous and it sticks out so far and it's so visually large. Like I was actually looking at the photos right now that uh, BMW provided and I think they did a really good job in their sh- angles and their yeah, shots. Yeah, the three-quarter shots. <laughs> of, of hiding that motor. There's only a couple shots where you're like, you sit there and you're like, oh, oh, fuck me, the... The cylinder heads almost extend farther than the handlebars. Holy it's Christ. So, what it's the? so bulgy and moosey. But you see it in person and like that motor, it looks ridiculous. Like that's my only thing where I'm just sitting there like, I think this is a bike that photographs better than it does in real life. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what it's going to look like in person. I mean, again, the one that we saw at the one show, I thought it was a pretty good looking bike for a cruiser. Uh, so I'm curious nah, to see that's what where I disagree says. with you. Like that motor, it just, it just, it just hangs out. So especially yeah, when you, it's on the kickstand. You're, you're hung up on that motor, man. That motor is massive. I, I need you to come motor, to peace with that motor. <laughs> I, everything I hate about this bike stems from them trying to use an air-cooled boxer motor. Like BMW, yeah. like I get that that was a thing. That's part of their history that they sell a boat ton of R series bikes uh, I think the R models account for like forty percent of their sales. Like, so I get it. I, mean, I get that I'm like number. in the minority here. I'm the weirdo that doesn't understand it. But like, I look at those things. I'm like, what a stupid way to do a motor. <laughs> and and for me, it's a sacred cow. It's like one of those things. Like, you did that back in the day. That made sense. It put the air, you know, the the air cooled heads right in the wind. It helped cool them. There was a functional element to this that made a ton of sense. Right. And now I look at them like those things are just liabilities. Those things are just like burning, burning my feet, whacking my shins, getting hit by rocks. This thing looks like you could just get rid of your kickstand and just lean it over on the cylinder head and be good to go. And like I just, <laughs> I just don't get it. I'm I'm not one of those guys. Like I'm not a part of that club. I don't think that's cool. And then you took the thing that I didn't think is cool and you did it like. 5x more you and so that just makes me it. like so really that's just making me hate it 5x more than i did before <laughs> so like i understand like okay that's me like that's my that's where i'm coming from so what do yeah, you expect? you're definitely not the demographic for this bike at all not even a little bit no i'm not and i'm not going to shell out twenty two thousand dollars to be one of the first people in the u.s with one of them which i think is insane balls too but you know people pay that for harley so obviously again like i could be sitting here that saying that's crazy but you know all proof to the contrary. Is that the uh, price range on that thing? Does it start at twenty two so, grand? So let's let's talk about BMW and their loose understanding of how pricing works. Well, I shouldn't say that they have a, actually a very clever way of doing pricing. Pricing, but it's very frustrating when you're trying to talk apples to apples comparisons on motorcycles and price. The MSRP is seventeen four nine five. Okay. The minute you go into the configurator, that price automatically becomes 18,100 which is really just them tacking on the uh, destination charge oh that's the like their freight and setup immediately their freight yeah so okay. in a way they're being very honest um because you know that's that's like a hidden fee that you don't really see in price tags from other yeah. brands but it does like it is very confusing and, and troubling because it's like oh i can't like a why can't I get it back to that MSRP number? Why like why can't I uncheck uncheck a box and get my six hundred dollars back? Um, <laughs> but uh, the first models that are going to arrive, I think, I think truthfully, I think the bikes that we're going to see during the twenty twenty model year are going to be what they're calling these first edition bikes, which basically comes with all the packages on it, and that's twenty two thousand dollars. Okay, so they're going to be loaded. 
Yeah, and so like, and it's and like true to BMW form. Like, you really, you will never be able to order the base model stripped down version, or or you can, you can order it. They will custom build it for you. You will order it, and you will wait wait three to six months for it to arrive. Right. All the bikes that the dealers are ordering have you know all the packages or the premium package on it. So like, you're getting you're getting like a twenty thousand dollar motorcycle, whether you like it or not. So that's why it's like that's why I say like I. I have a hard time with it because yeah, the MSRP is 17.5. You just, you just will never see one that was sold for 17.5. You'll see a bunch that were sold for 20 or 22 in this case. Um, which can be a little frustrating sometimes, especially as a journalist when you're trying to like, you know, match things price wise. Right. Um, I always have to like, whenever I have like a BMW that needs to be thrown in there, I have to go in and like configure it out and make sure like, okay, so what packages need to be on this thing to make it apples to apples <laughs> so I don't have to like do their bullshit thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I got to go on their configura- configurator and put one together because I'm curious to see what all the, you know, what all the uh, options no, there, are. There's barely, there's like three options. There's the, okay. That's the thing. Like there basically are no options. And as soon as you click one, you'll notice it, it tacks on all the others. Like there's, there's probably mathematically probably only like nine variations to this bike huh. when there should be like, you know, 500 or whatever. Um, so that, that to me is interesting. But what I did think was really interesting and they made a point in this in the press release was to talk about how the bike was built with customization in mind. Right. And you saw that they um, really had a pretty robust package of aftermarket parts and add-ons and modifications all ready to go especially because they partnered with Roland Sands on this right that's very smart that's very clever the aftermarket side of this bike is is going to be huge as we as we know it is for all motorcycles but yeah of but course cruisers in particular like you're going to put an exhaust pipe on it and you're going to put bags and you're going to put eight hangers and you're going to put little bells that keep pixies away and your oil inside your engine case um so, you know, they, they, whoever at BMW was sitting there and having to learn and speak cruiser, chopper, biker dude, they, they became very fluent in it because I think they've done a good job of building a bike that's very, uh, authentic looking in, in its story. Right. Uh, it very much looks the part and it's very unintimidating. It's very, it's very v- down the middle of the road and vanilla without being vanilla. If right. That makes sense. And then they have a good, robust, like, hey, we're gonna, you know, be able to customize this left and right for you. Yeah, they did a good. They did a good job of putting out basically a, a nice blank slate, nice clean canvas for you to, I guess, build the bike of your dreams, right? So for essentially eighteen thousand dollars, you get a you get an entry ticket to have your dream thirty thousand dollar bike. It's like a Rothko painting. That's what it is. This is a Rothko <laughs> painting. This isn't it. It's very pleasing to the eye. It's very nice. It's it's well regarded, uh, but it's very simple. And if you would like to spruce it up into a Monet or a right. Picasso, we can do that for you <laughs> right. too. We, we have can, the, we, can we have that ability. This this beautiful blue on canvas that that <laughs> has been painted. We can add some Starry Night to that for you. Don't worry. But if you want just your basic blue, sure, take your basic blue. You can have your Rothko. That's fine. No one's going to complain about having a Rothko in their garage. But we can, you know. Jackson Pollock that fucker for you if you want. We can oh, hell yeah. we can we can spruce it up if you want to get going with it. You got some giddy up in you. We can make it happen. Go Very go, smart. go crazy. Very smart. Go crazy. Make it make it make it candy apple green. Do your thing, girl. 
You know, never in all the years of doing the Brap Talk podcast, did I ever think I was going to make an analogy about motorcycles to fine art uh, paintings. <laughs> so that's cross that one off the list, Shaheen. Done <laughs> You're it. welcome. There it is. See, we're we're uh, 2020. It's April. I don't know, 530th, and uh, we're getting through it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy times. Um, we should record a uh, not about motorcycles podcast because i have so many crazy non-motorcycle things to, to share with 100 we haven't been talking but oh god yes we should um, try and do one of those uh in the next couple of days yeah it's i've got a whole lot, lot of nothing going on i got a lot going on in my world i got crazy stories to share with you nice um, awesome but it is crazy times i hope all of our our brack knock our i hope all of our brap talk listeners are are staying safe are staying healthy their loved ones are safe um I've I've lost a couple friends through this this virus. I've had a couple close calls with friends with this virus. Uh, it's definitely affecting my world tremendously, and I hope I hope that's not the case for everyone else. Um, we're gonna try and keep giving you guys weekly content with Brap Talk and the Not About Motorcycles podcast, just for just for distractions because our world is our world is needing distractions right now. Shaheen. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So. Uh, with that, I think we're going to get out of this one and I'm going to go get that pudding I've been thinking about for the last 30 oh, minutes. pudding. Give me some. <laughs> Such a little fatty. <laughs> well, All right, sir. All right, buddy. Well, uh, you know, as they always say, safety third, wash your hands. <laughs> Don't pick your nose. <laughs> or do, but you know, wash your hands first. Yeah, well, yeah wash your hands, yeah, after you pick your nose if you're going to do that. Um, <laughs> but good talk. I'll see you out there. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye. Beep, 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 beep.